This is the 15th chapter of Exodus at the Red Sea, beginning in verse 19. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen had entered the sea, the Lord brought the waters back over to cover them. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. And so Miriam, Aaron's sister, the prophet, took a tambourine, and the women with their tambourines followed her, and they were dancing, and Miriam sang, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A few weeks ago when I was getting ready to... um, packed to leave for Africa, uh, the words of an email were echoing in my mind. And the words were very simple. They said this, remember, there are no Walmarts in Africa. Now, I'd been four times before, but that was a helpful word. And so it's mid-afternoon, and we're leaving very early the next morning, and I begin to start to get things together to wash the clothes, fold them get them arranged. Oops, I I need some more clean undershirts. Go out and get those. Ah, forgot socks. Go to another place. And finally, about 10 o'clock, I'm ready to pack and I realized, snacks. What if we get stranded in the airport? I'll need snacks. So I go to the grocery store. And finally, about 1045, when we're leaving early the next morning, I start to put this, this stuff in the suitcase. It was frustrating. But I cannot imagine what it would have been like. I was just packing to go for 12 days. What if you're packing to be gone forever? What do you take with you when you're getting ready to leave Egypt? Can you imagine what that last night was like? What do you take? Well, let's, let's get our animals. Uh, we'll, we'll need our tent. We'll need uh, some clothing. And what about the silver and the gold that the Egyptians have given us? And yeah, don't forget the kids. I mean, can you imagine all the things they had to do to try to get ready to leave? And then imagine if you're one of their leaders. On top of this, there's a hundred other decisions. That's why I'm so amazed by the story of Moses. What Moses does on this night of all nights, when there's so much to remember and so many decisions to be made... We're told that Moses remembers to go and get the bones of Joseph to take with him out of Egypt. This is amazing to me with so many decisions. I mean, Moses is in charge of 600,000 men. And then there's women and children on top of that. And yet he remembers a promise that was made more than four centuries ago. And it wasn't even made by any of his relatives. It was Joseph who made his children swear to him as he was dying. He said, look, I know God's going to come to your aid and God's going to get you out of here. And when that happens, you need to take my bones with you out of Egypt and to the land that God is giving you. And Moses honors a promise he didn't even make four centuries later. And he takes the time to go and do that. I'm just stupefied and amazed at the kind of... uh, honor that Moses gives to those who've gone before them, that he will remember not only them, but their promises. And he works to keep them on top of everything else he has to do. And then there's Miriam, his sister. Miriam may very well be not only the, uh, she may be the leader of the women. She's certainly a leader of a large number of women. I'm sure she has many things to do and to get together But interestingly, if you read between the lines, among everything that Miriam decides to take with her household, she takes a tambourine. 
She takes a tambourine. And as Mary pointed out with the children, that's an instrument of celebration. That's an instrument of party. Miriam, in, in this time of transition, in this time of crisis, when the future is unknown, Miriam acts as if the future is known. What is known is one day there's going to be a great party. And we're going to sing after, uh, after decades and decades of slavery. And I'm going to be ready. And I'm going to have my tambourine. That's amazing to me. Now, the question I have for you this morning as we walk into Lent together is, in times of transition in your life, in times of crisis in your life, what are you packing with you? When relationships with someone you care very much about are strained, what are you packing with you? When your job may, um, may be undergoing changes, what do you pack? When your health slips from you or from a family member, what have you got in the suitcase? When the economy takes two small steps forward and then a giant step back, what you got? For so many, many, many years, I did not have a tambourine. I either had no instrument at all or I had some inter- instrument more more appropriate for playing taps or for amazing grace at a funeral. I was quick to say all is lost. The future is hopeless. Many of you in this room have heard me from time to time in past years lament the declining state of the church nationally in the United Methodist Church. And I've watched me make dire predictions for years. I didn't have a tambourine. So I'm really amazed that Miriam does. What kind of person takes a tambourine on this night of all nights? Well, we could say maybe Miriam's an optimist. You've met people like that, right? The glass is always half full. Not half, I enjoy these people. But at some point, you wonder when your optimism would begin to fade. Even a natural optimist, after decades and decades of slavery... After watching your husbands and your brothers and uh, your, the men in your neighborhood just come home every night beaten and drained and depressed. After raising your children, knowing that you're raising them only to become a slave in somebody else's house. Even the most naturally optimistic person has got to fade at some point. What is it with Miriam? Maybe, maybe it's this. The Bible calls her a prophet. We're not exactly sure. I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But we, why? But we do know this, that a prophet is somebody who speaks on behalf of God. So there is a presence of God in Miriam. And I think the Holy Spirit within Miriam must give her hope where hope is hard to find. Uh, 1,500 years after this, Paul will write the Romans and he says that the Holy Spirit brings us hope. And that we're able to hope on the basis of the Holy Spirit inside us. And maybe that's it. It makes sense to me. But I also think there's this other thing. In the scripture today, Miriam is called Aaron's sister. And she is. But she's also Moses' sister. So why do they call her Aaron's sister? I don't know, but here's a guess that many people have. Aaron and Miriam are both older than Moses. So when the baby Moses is about to be born, and in fact, when he is born, uh, Miriam is best known as Aaron's sister. And she is there on the scene, according to Exodus 2. And when all the babies, male babies, are threatened with death, her mother puts Moses in this basket. And she there, at the waters of the Nile, sees a most miraculous thing. 
Not only does the baby get found, which I think they arranged for as best they could. They hoped it would happen. But she's found by Pharaoh's daughter who decides to take Moses in as her own son. And as this decision is about to be made, Miriam, who tradition says is about six years old at the time, goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, you want me to find somebody to nurse that child for you? One of the Hebrew women. Yes, the daughter says, and I'll pay her for it. And Miriam runs off and gets her mother. You see, Miriam has stood at the water before. Not the Red Sea, the Nile. But she's seen God do something miraculous. I think one of the reasons she has such confidence and hope is she's experienced the reality of God. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought if God would just appear to you, uh, somehow a voice would speak to you from the heavens that did it make everything all right? That if you just got definite proof of the existence of God, like those people that have a near-death experience and they come back and they're so much less afraid and less anxious than they were before. Have you ever thought that might do it for you? Maybe it did it for Miriam to see God do this. I don't know. I don't know a lot of people that have had a direct encounter with God like that. I can't help but remember Fred Craddock's story, one of my favorite pastors. Years and years ago, he's flying to a conference. And back in this day, it's back when airplanes had a smoking and a non-smoking section. So he's in non-smoking, but the guy next to him has got a cigar and he lights it up, starts puffing at it. So, you know, he, he puts up with it for a few moments and finally he nudges a guy and points to the, you know, the, the line, the light through the cigarette. No smoking. The guy just, just blows another ring out of his mouth. Puts it back in. So he puts up with it for a while. Finally, he calls the flight attendant. She comes and points to that, points to the guy in his cigar. And the guy says, and the flight attendant says, sir, this is a no smoking section. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure there are seats in the smoking section. I will go find you one. And he just takes another puff. Flight attendant comes back a few moments later and tells him on which row and which seat there's a place for him. The man still with his smoking, his lit cigar, doesn't say a thing or change anything. She looks at Fred and he looks at her like, well, what can you do? And she has to get on about her business as the flight attendant. So next thing you know, she's coming down the aisle with the, with the soft drinks and the water and, and whatever. And she gets right next to where um, the man is sitting and Fred next to him. And suddenly they hit turbulence. And all the drinks on her lap go into the, uh, on her tray go into the lap of the man who's smoking the cigar. Soaked completely. And then Craddock adds, and the young flight attendant fell in my lap. And he said, don't tell me there's no God. (laughs) Sometimes we get a vision like that. Maybe that's what Miriam had. But I want to remind you, as best we can tell, that was 80 years ago. And I think every one of us gets glimpses of God now and then, but we seem so often to say, but, but what have you done for me recently? Yeah, I remember when you did that. But what about the last few weeks or the last year? Uh, Miriam was able to hold on for 80 years to that vision of God. But I also want to tell you this, that every one of us has an experience with God or we wouldn't be sitting here. You might remember last week we talked about the metaphor that as long as you're alive, your candle is still burning. And I think there's a truth that if your candle is still burning and you're, st- and you're here today when so many others are no longer here, or they don't have the freedom to worship, or they don't have food to eat, or they don't have health care, you have to at least recognize somewhere God has given you a gift. 
And then the third thing is this on, uh, on thinking about God. The Hebrews were such a communal people. They knew that we were one, all of us loved by God and who loved God. So that if any of us had an experience of God, all of us did. See, sometimes I worry that I haven't seen God recently and I forget to celebrate that one of my friends has experienced God recently. Well, if one of my friends has or one of my brothers or sisters in Christ, then we all have. And I, I think if we could remember that, maybe we could hold on. I don't know if we could hold on 80 years, but maybe we could hold on. But there's something else. She had to have that tambourine somewhere in her tent in order to pack it. 400 years of slavery and oppression. What's that woman doing with a tambourine? 400 years of watching your children grow up to be slaves. Of watching the men come home beaten and depressed. Who's got time for a tambourine? And yet she's got one. There's something going on with this woman, Miriam. What could it be? One of the pastors in our meeting this past week said, what does the name Miriam mean in Hebrew? Because oftentimes your Hebrew name says a lot. And her name means bitterness and rebellion. <laughs> Thanks, Mom and Dad. Great call. Bitterness and rebellion. And so I kind of did the mental gymnastics and I said, oh, yeah. If you go forward to numbers... Miriam will lead a revolt against her brother Moses because she's jealous that he's the leader. She's bitter about Moses. She'll rebel against him. She'll get leprosy that only goes away when Moses prays for her. And I thought, well, that explains it. But it doesn't. That's just a part of Miriam's story. That's a disappointing part. That's just a small part. But if you read some of the rabbinic traditions about Miriam, this is fascinating. Again, it's not in your Bible, but it's informed by the Bible. They say that her name means bitterness because she was in touch with the pain of her people. She knew their bitterness. Just like Moses, remember, tried to go out and free the Hebrew slave from the overseer. Miriam is empathetic. She's compassionate. She feels deeply the pain of her people. That's her bitterness. But at the same time, she won't give in. She's not going to take the slavery bit lying down. She is going to fight it for all she's worth. The tradition about Miriam, by the way, it's not in the Bible, but an interesting story that they told for centuries is that when she was five years old, she comes across the path of the Pharaoh and starts taunting and abusing him for enslaving the people. And Pharaoh is about to have her arrested. And apparently Moses' father just says, look, she's a five-year-old kid. Give her a break. And Miriam's allowed to live. She's called a prophet. Many people say, because when she was six years old and her baby brother was born, she was the first Hebrew who said, he's going to save us. God is going to rescue us through him. Do you see why this woman has a tambourine? She's just not going to quit. She has a spirit in her that rebels against slavery, that rebels against oppression, that rebels against disease, that rebels against poverty. That rebels against the world that is not running the way that God intended. And she's not going to take it. She's going to fight it for everything she's worth from age 5 until she is 86. She hasn't quit. Why she got that tambourine? That's her symbol of protest. 
One day it's going to be different. One day we're going to celebrate. She is not giving in to her present circumstances. She will not give in to hopelessness. She will not give in to defeat. No matter what, she will hold on to confidence in God with everything she has. That's the spirit of Moses' sister, Miriam the prophet. My prayer is that God will give us a double portion of that spirit.